If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them to the book of Colossians. We call it a book. It was actually originally a letter. It is in kind of the second half of the Bible. It's a small little uh, book. It's about three or four pages in length, depending upon your Bible. But I want to encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be focusing on verses 16 and 17 today. But we'll need to set up a little bit of the background if you haven't been with us in the past several weeks. We're going through the book of Colossians, but we've really camped out on a portion in Colossians chapter 3 that lays the framework in very simple terms and in very direct terms on what it means to truly follow Jesus Christ every day of your life. It's not, if you're not familiar with Christianity, it's not just a Sunday morning thing or a once in a while thing. It's, it's all day, every day. And this actually gives you very simple steps on what you and I ought to be doing. And it might, in fact, it more than likely is not what you expect. It's not simply going places or doing things, but it's internal decisions on some things that you ought not to do anymore and some things that you should do. But it really revolves around a mindset and changing how you think. And so let's begin. Hopefully you've had an opportunity to get there. We'll just dig right in. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 4 sets the scene. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, so the Apostle Paul writing to this church is speaking to the church, but just as here today, there are a bunch of people here, and not everyone here is really trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Statistically, that's um, the reality of things. Now, it's possible that everyone here does know Jesus as the Lord, but um, probably not. Not only that, but this is kind of a, a check on your heart. It's if you have been raised with Christ. Uh, a lot of people may have prayed a prayer or uh, wanted to be saved but didn't really understand or commit to following Jesus as Lord. There's a lot of people that are lifelong church attenders and you think they're Christians, but in their heart, they, they really are not. So I would encourage you, examine your heart. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, he lays it out there. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God now. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So it's this amazing, eternal, spiritual perspective. It's a complete shift or a, a, a way of thinking, a worldview that is different. Now, that's the setting. So if you've done those things, then the following is what you ought to do. The question is, those are very spiritual kind of terms. Set your mind on the things above, seek the things above. Well, I've never been above, so it's hard for me to really do that. So what is he specifically saying here? Well, he lays it out in verses 5 through 15, and I'll summarize it really simply. He essentially says, put to death what is earthly in you. Step number one, that's how you seek the things that are above. So it's this idea of examination, anger, wrath, malice, sexual immorality, all these things. Understand what is in you and put it to death. Very strong language, and we dug into that deeply. Then put on certain things, compassionate hearts, love that binds everything together, and a great number of other things. So it's this internal changing. And then step number three, let the peace of Christ rule in your life. If you really know Jesus and are walking with him, you must let his peace rule. And notice that's a command, right? If it just happened naturally, that would be awesome. But uh, unfortunately, it doesn't. 
you have to make that decision. Finally, we get to our focal passage in verse 16 and 17, and then a little context following. It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's the third time, or the second time, uh, verse 15, it mentions thankfulness as well. Verse 17, And whatever you do, whatever, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him the third time. So step number four and five and six, let the word of Christ, it must dwell in you richly, do everything in the name of Jesus, and step number six, be thankful. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more as we go. But I want you to continue on just for context and setting the stage for the coming weeks. Verses 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, as well as verse 1 of chapter 4, he lists out some relationships. Wives, husbands, children, father, bondservants, and masters. Every place that the New Testament spends any time at all addressing relationships with husbands, wives, or children, or in this case, work relationships, and this is the worst kind of work relationship where you're a slave for a master, it always does so in Colossians, Ephesians, and 1 Peter in the context of this putting to death and putting on. So in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about relationships, husbands and wives, marriages, children, raising children, work, all those relationships, and it's always going to be in this context. If you Set it aside. If you strip it away from the idea of setting your mind on things above, seeking the things above, it's almost impossible to have great relationships here because it's those relationships become self-centered rather than Christ-centered. And anytime a relationship is self-centered, it's almost impossible to have harmony because we're sinful individuals. Even if we're saved, we are saved by grace. We don't just stop sinning. And you have to learn how to deal with that. And if you don't deal with it from a Christ-centered way, you're going to have serious problems throughout your whole life, whether it's at work or at home. So just as a preview going forward, know that what we're talking about today has incredible application in every area of your life. Just think about this. Is there any area in your life where you don't have a relationship even if you're asleep and you're married, guess what? Your snoring is irritating your spouse, more than likely, right? You're, you're thinking that you're all by yourself, just doing your best, but your snoring is a problem, okay? Getting up 20 times during the night might be a problem. All sorts of things. At work, you could be sitting in your little QB uh, and, and you're just sitting there behind the computer minding your own business, but guess what? You have people around you that you're affecting. Email, tax, phone, coffee break. You just, you're not alone in this world. Relationships are critical and how you interact is of utmost importance. It's either going to be Christ-centered or self-centered. Now let's dig into our passage here. Verse 16, the word of Christ must dwell in you richly. It says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So notice right off the bat, 
This is horizontal. This isn't the formal aspect of teaching as I'm teaching right now. The, the Lord gifted the church with teachers in, in a situation similar as this or small groups. But this is the one another passage. You in the hallway, you in your home, you at work, uh, whatever the case teaching and monishing one another. So that's the scene for the word of Christ richly dwelling in you. Teaching and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. So to understand this verse, and, and I believe it or not, it seems fairly straightforward and simple initially reading it, but if you talk to a lot of people, it's very confusing and people have misinterpreted this. So first off, general overview of this verse that you need to understand. In the original language Greek, just as in English, it's one sentence. It's one thought. If you break it apart, then you're going to misunderstand it. So let me explain how that often occurs. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Most people think that the passage there stops, and it's just the word of Christ is in the first part, and then the second part, they read psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and they're thinking, well, hymns, that, that's obviously, he's referring to John Wesley and his writing of the hymns, the good old Baptist hymnal, all right, or whatever hymnal you, you're used to having maybe in your younger years. That's not what this is talking about at all. Those hymns didn't even exist. If you take it as a unit of thought, the hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, and this is really important, are the word of Christ. The, the thought continues. Throughout this entire sentence, we're dealing with the inspired word of God. So that's the, that's the big picture understanding. It, we're, we're not making stuff up in songs and hymns and, and sort of things. It's the entire inspired word of God, what we're referring to here. The second thing is this. I, I've tried not to beat you down with Greek too very much. Um, but I, I discovered that this is really important in this passage. Starting in verse 1 that we just began with, all the way till now, there are eight verbs that are imperatives. And most of you know what an imperative is. You paid attention in fourth grade in English class, but a lot of my buddies apparently didn't. They're like, I don't know, what's an imperative? Is that like some sort of strange fruit? No, it's not. Uh, about the best way I can explain it to you is this. Many of you know I've got this little furry hairball of a dog called Patches the Wonder Dog, and she's incredibly well-trained. So when we're out on the hiking trail, I let her off her leash, and she just takes off after ground squirrels. And I'm yelling, come, Patches, come! And you're looking looking at me, if you've been out there with me, you're like, uh, you're the idiot, not the dog, because uh, you should have trained her well, because she's just not paying attention to you at all. Well, come there, yelling it like that, even though she's paying no attention at all, is an imperative. Uh, I would probably do better going, come, Patches, come, come, Patches. She would still ignore me, but I would sound better. I wouldn't look like the idiot. And so that's an imperative. And here's the weird thing. In this little passage, in just these few verses, there are eight, not eight, that's three. I, I, went to, I took math as well. Eight imperatives. Is that me or is that someone else? I don't know. There are eight imperatives. If you did that in English class or if you submitted like a, a book to some publisher, they would send your paper back bleeding in red ink. Like that's terrible writing. Like an excellent... Uh, I can't even speak this morning. 
you, imagine getting an email, all right? Emails aren't fun to begin with, but if your boss sent you an email with every sentence was an imperative yelling at you, you'd be like, I get it, you're over the top. Well, that's what this passage of Scripture is from God. He's shouting at us. And in this verse, in verse 16, the imperative is dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's the last uh, of the imperatives. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not necessarily teach or listen or seeing any of that at this point. It's dwell in you. I got to tell you, that's one of the hardest things that I've tried to communicate, teach, encourage, admonish in all my 12 years of ministry. Getting people to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly. And it's not memorizing. Memorizing ultimately allows that throughout most of your day. But the Word of Christ can be dwelling in you right now as you're listening to it, as you're thinking about it and processing it. It's dwelling in you. That's fine. But it, it stops dwelling in you the moment you get to McDonald's and there's a long line and you're frustrated. You're like, why am I even sitting in line for terrible food? You're getting really upset. You're like, man, I wish there was a Chick-fil-A. You're just getting, you know, the, the Word of Christ isn't dwelling in you at that moment. Or when you're having an argument with your kids on the way to McDonald's to get them the bad food, or I don't know. We're going out huckleberry picking this afternoon, and I'm, I'm praying that there's good huckleberries and I don't get stung. Many of you know I hate little stinging insects. But if I do, the Word of Christ probably won't be dwelling in me at that moment. Uh, I'll be screaming uh, like a little girl. But here's the idea. If it's not dwelling in you, you're going to be ruled by your emotions, your situations, scenarios, your own desires. This isn't optional. It's not like, well, maybe we go to church today, maybe we stay home. Or maybe, you know, I didn't pray as much as I should, or, or I, I should be giving more finances to the, to the ministry of the church, or some of those things, or whatever. This is imperative. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. And this is key, richly, and you're going to understand why that is. Three areas in how you let the word of Christ dwell in you. What is the purpose? Teaching, admonishing, and in both those areas, it's one another. Teaching one another, admonishing one another, and the third area is singing. And that sounds strange. Some of you might sing in the shower. Uh, I I've recently went on a mission trip with two of our, our worship team, and, and they always, they're just bebopping around singing. And I'm like, wow, uh, God bless you, but you don't want me doing that. I, is this, this speaking only to our like, musically inclined folks? Well, you have to remember in the first century AD, the church was persecuted. And maybe some of you have been uh, abused in some way physically, mentally, sexually, who knows? It's very common. But the early church, they were being killed. Their, their entire um, livelihood was often taken from them if they confessed Christ. They were poor oftentimes. 
But the beauty, and, and I've seen this in third world countries today where, where the church is persecuted, they would gather around together. Maybe their pastor had even been taken and thrown in prison. And they would sing. And they would sing with thankfulness in their hearts. It wouldn't be a, a beautiful choir or a beautiful whatever, but they would sing. Music was important, but let's, let's step back just a moment. All right, number one, teach. You can't teach what you don't know. You end up teaching how you were raised more than likely. Wow, okay. We're having some interesting things going on in technology. It's, it's back up. That's another one of those things that where the word of Christ is not dwelling in me richly when I have to deal with technology. And we'll get to that. I've got an illustration there. But teaching. Uh, one of the things that I was also going to share about technology is we had a, a great technology guy. He's left and we're struggling at this point, but we're getting through because we have had more people step up. But I've discovered teaching is critical because when our technology guy left who was great at technology, he didn't really teach anyone. So we're just floundering around half the time because we never bothered to learn anything. Can you imagine someone coming to you and they have a real problem and you would like to teach them what the Word of God says, but you don't have a Bible. You don't have the pastor handy. And you're like, well, uh, Jesus wept? Um, yeah. In the beginning, God created the heaven, and I mean, you're like, you're struggling, right? But we generally are trying to teach one another if we're seeking God. So what does that look like? Real simple. You're like, Scott, that's really easy for you to say. No, it's not. It's easy to teach up here, but teaching in a one-on-one -on -one situation at home or with friends or whatever, it's, it's not easy. Because how do you just start that conversation, you're like, oh, well, um, let's, uh, let's sit down and talk about that. And you're not wanting to be this like spiritual weird guy. At the same time, you are trying to follow Jesus. Um, how do you get that conversation going? And, and here's the simple uh, opportunity or maybe solution for you. You can give this a try. It's just a simple question. If, if you're in your daily conversation at home within your family and you're trying to figure something out, just ask this simple question. Give someone the opportunity to say, you know what? What does God say about that? And if they say, I have no idea, and you go, well, I have no idea either. What do you say we actually take the time to sit down and open the Bible and try to figure it out? And they'll more than likely say, no. <laughs> but you keep saying that often enough that you begin to create a culture within your own home of actually doing that. Taking five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, out of your day on a regular basis and, and humble yourself and say, you know what? Let's actually start trying to figure out what God's word says. And as you do that enough, this is where you begin to memorize stuff, not out of some arbitrary, odd process, but out of real, genuine desire and normal life, because you're utilizing it on a regular basis. Quite frankly, if you're having to open up and do the same study a dozen times, at some point you're like, you know, let's try to actually remember this so we're not having to do this again, and you, and you go throughout the day. Then 
That was number one, teaching, admonishing. This is where it really gets tough. Where someone in your life, whether at work or at home, is doing something sinful, disobedient to God. Anyone have that person in their life? Any of you that person? <laughs> right? It's tough, right? So most of the time, we don't even want to address it. We do all sorts of coping mechanisms where we just avoid dealing with the sin. But here's the crazy thing. I've seen relationships where it gets to the end, like divorce, quitting a job, uh, leaving a church, uh, separation of, of kids and parents, and yet they've never, ever tried to figure out what God's Word says and then actually speak that into the person's life. And the problem is the other person is so angry at that point in time, even if they try, they're not willing to listen. And this is where it really gets back to that first verse. If you have been raised with Christ. That's the bottom line. If you have been raised with Christ, then you're willing to admonish. You're willing to sit down and try to address that situation biblically. And if you've been raised with Christ, no matter how angry you are, no matter how many times you've been hurt in the past, if someone comes to you and they're genuinely trying to address the problem biblically, it's time for you to listen up and not immediately say, well, you interpreted that wrong, or how about this verse over here? No, just simply listen and allow the conversation to go deeper and deeper in the Scripture and let Scripture speak humbly, quietly, lovingly teaching and admonishing one another. The third thing we're supposed to do with the word of Christ richly dwelling in us is singing. And I almost cringe as I say that because I hate singing. <laughs> but notice this. Once again, this is not talking about the formal assembly of the church where there's uh, people are bringing prophecy and hymns and, and, and that sort of thing at this point in time. That does occur in the early New Testament church where those gifts are still um, active, but this is just one another. In other words, what's your music on your phone? What's your music that you play in your truck or your rig or your car, in your shop? What do you have it turned to? This is the measuring stick and let's take a moment to talk about that. It's the word of Christ richly dwelling in you. So you teach the word of Christ, you admonish the word of Christ, and you sing the word of Christ. Now here's the standard. Immediately most people when we start talking about singing, they think about what we just did. And believe it or not, people love to critique worship as much as they like critiquing pastors, probably more so. And they always want to throw the music under the bus for a variety of reasons, but most of the time it's because they don't like it for whatever reason. But here's the yardstick in which we're to measure our personal music as well as corporate if we want. It's how much of God's Word does it contain? Is it rich in God's Word or is it anemic? Is it poor as a church mouse? And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But that's the yardstick. So let's look at this. We already saw that, that contextually, all of these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are in the inspired word of God. This isn't us making up stuff. He says this. 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. That's it. Well, what are these? They're very much the Word of God, but are they special parts of Scripture? Well, the answer first is yes, psalms. Everywhere in the Bible that it talks about psalms, it's referring to the psalms in the book of Psalms. Imagine that. Now, not all the psalms are, are seemingly written for songs. They are, but there are some that are very specific. They, uh, the introduction indicates they were written for music and stringed instruments and, and those sorts of things. It's called the songbook. That's the kind of the nickname of the book of Psalms, the songbook of Israel. The psalms were songs. And so we know not only based upon the context of this verse that it's the inspired word of God, but the Psalms always refer to that book, the inspired word of God. Then the next two words are hymns and spiritual songs. Now, I've had questions. What are the difference there? Well, I'm not going to make you happy if you had that question because these two words or these three words, hymns and spiritual songs, occur only in two spots in the entire Greek New Testament. Here and in Ephesians 5.19, it says this, in Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the heart or to the Lord with your hearts. So in both places in the New Testament, those two words are enlists. Enlists like spiritual gifts, if, if you've read uh, any scripture regarding spiritual gifts, there's not any definitions given there. There, there are no uh, explanations. It's just songs, spiritual songs specifically in hymns. That's it. But we do know they are inspired, and we also know this. At least as we look at the word spiritual in the New Testament, in front of songs, if you look at how the word spiritual is used, it is always of God. So we're to be built up in spiritual houses. That, that's a metaphor used of us. We are to offer spiritual uh, sacrifices. We have spiritual or receive spiritual blessings. It's always of God or, a, or at least a real spirit. Uh, occasionally it's referencing the spiritual realm in, in a negative way, uh, Satan, that sort of thing. But it is, it's not how we use. Do, you, do you, any of you have individuals in your life that are very spiritual but not Christian? That's how we think of it sometimes. Spiritual people, they're just kind of wandering around, have all sorts of different beliefs. That's not how Scripture uses spiritual. It really does mean of the Spirit of God. So we know this. We have hymns, whatever they are, and spiritual songs. Here's where all this leads. Let's say we're evaluating the music that was just sung this morning on this stage. Is it now, after reading this text, something that's wrong because all we're supposed to do is sing inspired biblical text? We're supposed to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Can we not sing anything else? That's a very obvious question that would come up. Well, let's put it in context once again. We just read at the beginning of the sentence, let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, right? So let's ask the question there. Are we not allowed to talk 
or speak in anything other than Scripture? Do I get up in the morning and as I'm greeting Judy going, Jesus wept, Jesus wept. God so loved the world. God so loved the world. No, we are allowed to speak, and we, we should speak. That's how God created us. Uh, God gave us a mind. He gave us speech. He gave us our own individual thoughts. We're to go through life. We're more than, than able, and, and we ought to be able to express our individual creativity and thoughts. But here's the thing. Our thoughts, our speech, our actions should be, and this is the bar, filled richly with the word of Christ, not exclusively. It's richly. And there are times if you're working on a truck, if you're, if you're plowing a field, if you're working uh, on a quilt, if, if you're in school and you're, you're talking about calculus, your speech is, is going to be pretty poor. You're, it's, you're going to be like, I'm starving here for the word of God. And that happens. It even happens from the pulpit. If you've ever heard of anyone giving their personal testimony, it's 90% them and about 10% the gospel when they were saved. And that's okay occasionally. Just like in your life, it's okay if you're dealing with calculus, talk calculus, by all means. Just keep me out of that conversation, right? If you're talking about technology, keep me out of that conversation. But at some point, the Word of God does enter into those conversations. Because I, I, I promise you, I need an attitude adjustment when I'm dealing with technology. I really do. With just about anything. And so it's not exclusively, but richly. And on occasion, it might be fairly poor. So we look at our own speech, our own music. We look at sermons and we look at worship in the same way. So hopefully you understand that concept, but the difficult part is how do we apply that? Once again, evaluate what's on your radio. Evaluate what's on your phone. Are you letting God's word pour into your, your mind through music or through God's word or is it sports talk? Is it politics? Once again, that stuff's not bad, but what percentage? If we had to look in your own heart, in your own life, and say, how much of Christ's word is dwelling in us, being poured into us? Would you be a billionaire? Or would you be basically the bond servant? <laughs> not only do you have none, you're a slave at this point. <laughs> It's tough, but once again, this is not optional. It's an imperative. Well, you might say, Scott, I just can't, I can't memorize. I've tried. This gets back to technology. I stink at technology. I've failed at technology. And as a failure at technology, I've discovered I'm really good at failing. I'm good at failing a lot. And if you come to me with some little sad story that you, you like, I tried to memorize scripture this week and couldn't, I'm not impressed. I've got no empathy for you at all. Because as a failure, I know there's lots of ways to fail. A thousand ways to fail. I'm failing all the time. And so if you've just failed once and like, nah, I can't do it. I'm like, nah, you're failing at failing. Do you realize that? That takes talent. No, 
keep trying, try, fail a thousand times at trying to let God's word dwell in your heart richly. Fail 10,000 times. That's okay. Because here's the thing. Once again, it's not about memorization. It's about dwelling or a meditation. As you're failing, you don't realize how much of your life is all of a sudden changing where you're trying to let God's word dwell in you. And sooner or later, some of us will stick. And the more intentional you become, the more of it that will stick. And the more times you sit down at the kitchen table and you're sitting there, all right, what does God's word say? Maybe you're a little bitter about the whole thing. I don't know. But you're like, okay, this is the 20th time we're, we're sitting down with the kids and, and how should you honor mom and dad, all right? Or whatever the case may be. All of a sudden, you're an individual who's letting the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. But you have to be honest. Well, we've run out of time, so we're going to cover verse 17 quickly. The last two points, do everything in the name of Jesus and be thankful. Last week, I gave you the challenge of writing a list every single day of the things that you are thankful for. I hope you found that fruitful. I know I did. I'm so thankful. Verse 17, and whatever you do, that covers about everything, right? Does that not cover Anything? All right. It covers everything. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Doesn't really need a lot of explanation other than simply this. Some people have taken this as almost like abracadabra. And we do it unintentionally. Like, have you been praying? And you're like, dear Lord. And you start off and you're praying. And at the very end, you hear people, and I say it too, like, in the name of Jesus, amen. As if God didn't know that you were talking to him. And you have to have that abracadabra at the end. No, that's not what this means. Do everything in word and deed in the name of the Lord. So at the end of your emails, you're not signing in the name of Jesus. Or you're not giving your order at you know, pizza in the name of Jesus. Uh, no, that's not what it means. It's this. It's this beautiful picture. God, for whatever reason, chose to use us to share the good news of Jesus Christ throughout this world. His love. We are his ambassadors. We represent him. So in whatever we do or say, we represent Jesus. So the thought is, as we're doing and speaking, we're representing him. It's his name that is being glorified, or in many cases, not. So it gets back to those first couple verses in Colossians 3. We have died. Our life is no longer our own. Our life is hidden in Christ. And we seek him in glory. So it's no longer us. We are living for Jesus. When people hear you, they should hear Jesus. When they see you, they should, should see Jesus. Now that sounds good, and it actually is fairly easy in a, in a setting like this. Where it gets hard is when your wife or your husband knows you, and they're like, ah, I see Judas, not Jesus, right? They're a little rough, and they can be that way. We can be that way. 
And so how do you repair that? How do you get back to that? Well, you just simply start with today. You, you, you let your speech today reflect Jesus. You let your actions today reflect Jesus. And you build each day. And over time, they do begin to hear and see Jesus. And when you live like that, with your eyes set on a different place altogether, you can and will be thankful. I am so thankful for my Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for all of you and the grace you've shown me in my life. I'm thankful for my family. And I pray this week would be a new and fresh start for many of you where you begin this process to really relationally, authentically seek Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. And we do praise you. Help us uh, to be failures at, at hiding your word in our heart. Because we, if, if we are, we're at least trying. And for many of us, we've given up trying. Lord, uh, as we do so, through your power and your strength, miraculously working within us, fill us with your spirit. Guide us and direct us into your word. That as people hear and see us, we reflect you. Amen.